This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. How's the new job going? Um, do you know what, Sam? Uh, you know, like, you, you've known me for a, a really long time now, and you know that for all these years I've been... Um, spent my life supporting people and helping them to find their pathway and, you know, total focus on education. And I'm actually getting paid to do that job. <laughs> just feel like, I feel like this a bit of a fraud because I've been doing this job for free for all the years I've known you and quite a few before that. And now people are actually paying me to do that. It's very funny and amazing. That's, that sounds good. Are they calling you Dr. Karatai yet? Yes, they are. And that's even more weird. (laughs) (laughs) Who's that person? (laughs) Yeah, I look for my auntie and uncle. (laughs) (laughs) And who are we introducing today? Today, it is a great pleasure to introduce the Managing Director of Flock Consulting, a business intelligence um, company that helps businesses and organisations understand their data. Um, Dad of five... Mad golfer, by the sounds of it, Mr. John Foote. Welcome, John. Thank you. Glad to be here. Welcome, John. Where are you, John? Uh, In Dunedin. So um, I live uh, at St. Clair, so near the beach in Dunedin, which is is both a blessing and a curse because there's a beach, but mostly, most of the time you can't use it. (laughs) We've been... We've been asking people how their bubble life is going, and of course now we have to change it to how your traffic light is going. How's your traffic light going? <laughs> it's 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 almost a constant learning experience. This process, I think, you know, it's um, I, I guess, you know, trying to figure out the traffic light has probably been the most um, the most demanding part of it, um, and and then the rest of the time is from Dunedin. I mean, we've been pretty well sheltered in, in, in many senses from everything in Dunedin, but um, definitely getting used to mask life has probably been the major thing for us. Are you, do you, you, you do consulting work, you've been doing that remotely or are you, are you still managing to to get out and, and talk to people? Yeah, look, yeah, well, you know, right from the first lockdown, it was interesting because the work that we do is is with a lot of organisations um, around the country, and right before the first lockdown in March of 2020, I was actively travelling a lot, and um, I remember actually sitting in a in a client based in Christchurch where we had a bunch of um, 
on-site training sessions um, lined up, you know, in the following sort of 10 or so weeks of time. And, and I was actually in the office when it all kind of went down. And so very quickly we were like, okay, well, you know, how is this going to work? We're obviously not going to be able to, to, to do this. And then um, right then it was the client was kind of like, no, 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 we want to keep training our people. We want to keep moving. So can we go online? And so within the space of a week, we had to redo everything we did around the training so that it was delivered remotely. And of course, that, you know, like a lot of businesses, that was a digital transformation to remote in the space of a week, which meant that um, we moved really quickly um, to being able to do everything remotely. Um, and it's been interesting from our perspective uh, in the work we do, you know, in the technology space. Um, in some ways, it's been really good for us. Being a technology business in Dunedin, um, most people in other cities in New Zealand, but also other countries in the world, now are kind of like, doesn't matter that you're in Dunedin, New Zealand, because we're, we're talking to people across town on Zoom. So um, it doesn't make any difference. If you guys can do the work, then that's fantastic. So it's been really good from that perspective. And it's so common for me now to spend, you know, six hours of my day on on zoom or on teams or on on whatever and uh, um, it's very much just kind of how it is and my team love it you know we've got a team that can work from home at any point of the any, any time they want because they can be remote they can be anywhere so it's so it's it's you know in that sense it's kind of been quite a good transition to um to this lifestyle has the pandemic caused a, a, a new form of business intelligence are, are the questions different uh, you know th there's the questions about the pandemic but there's also has it changed business and how people are looking at it i think it's it, <clears throat> it's shortened time frames because people aren't thinking in six to twelve months anymore they're thinking in this week next month what's happening what is going to happen because I think there's a couple of things is that, you know, specifically a lot of businesses, especially when it first, when the lockdowns first started happening, they needed to know information right now because things were tr were moving and changing so rapidly. And I find now a lot of people, although they're planning for the future, it's very hard to plan for the future. And so we have to be a lot more flexible and a, a lot more, uh, a lot more thinking going to what are we actually building here? What are we actually trying to achieve? So there's definitely, definitely a change in thinking, definitely a change in approach. Um, and I think we almost have to be ready for a new, you know, it's continuing to change around how the, every, as everything rolls out because because markets are changing, um, delivery approaches are changing, you know, all sorts of markets are completely different to what they used to be 12 months ago. So, you know, it's it's quite dynamic. What's the role of business intelligence as we move to this, perhaps we'll stay in, this this uncertain and disruptive world? We, we've been talking to several people about that VUCA, uh, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. Does that change how business intelligence or the role of business intelligence? Well, I think we just, we just see more and more of it. Um, you know, the reality is, is more digital um, – more digital components are coming in. So I just had a conversation today with um, with a, a friend of mine talking about digital twins. 
um, you know, and, and, and it's interesting when you talk about business intelligence, there's so many components of digital and um, business intelligence. Um, you know, we could talk about what, so what we work on is sort of the data piece, which is just storing and transforming data and then visualizing it. Then you bring in, you know, AI machine learning, you know, that's continuing to, to grow and develop and become more commonplace. You look at the digital twin concept around all sorts of different types of, of things that are that can be digital twins. And, you know, going along with the growth in storage capacity and processing power and cloud storage, you know, we're seeing obviously organizations now starting to talk more and more about larger cloud storage in New Zealand. Um, it, you know, it just continues, the volume of data continues. And so the way to handle, manage and, and analyze data is just going to continue to evolve. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's go back to the the nineties. Supergroove, you've got to know why this one. Oh, look, this just takes me back. It's um, it's very much you know one of the songs that um, that I grew up on, and it's it's funny. It's one of those ones that if it comes on the radio now, it just immediately takes me back. Um, but it just it feels timeless. It feels like it just I you know I haven't. I've never I've never grown tired of listening to it when it comes on. So yeah, it's back back to the nineties. But you, they would have almost got away with reduce, producing it now. Oh, totally. And that's the thing; it just feels timeless because it, you know there's definitely songs from the nineties that you don't want to listen to anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know they just had something. They just got something right, you know. And and I think it's um, like you say, if they came out now, it would still be as good.
trees and the moon up above and the thing called La Vista. You got to know to understand. Maybe take me by my hand. I'll lead you to the promised land. You got to know to understand. One more point, and that's this. You got to know to understand. Maybe take me by my John, we were talking about business intelligence. One of the things that I think is going to be a long-lasting impact of the pandemic is that it's really brought to the fore well-being. It was it was happening anyway, but the, the the concepts of well-being have certainly been given a big boost by the the direction that that, that our government took as you know managing on the basis of well-being got real. Yep. It, it wasn't just a theoretical thing. Are we seeing a do, am I just inventing a term here, or does it exist already of well-being intelligence? Oh, 100%. I mean, I guess you just have to consider um, Fitbits and um, Apple Watches and Samsung Watches and the amount of information that they're collecting from a, a well-being perspective. Um, you know, heart rates, oxygen um, saturations, stress levels, activity. So the uh, the old days of a pedometer, you know, it's it's all on your watch now. It's even on your phone. So the the, the data points that those are creating are massive. Um, there's uh, my my brother-in-law is, um, is is type one diabetic, and and the technology that's developing there around tracking his um, blood sugars and um, against his um, insulin and, and things like that, you know, all of that's creating data points as well. So, you know, from the perspective of gathering data, there's, there's again, that's just going to be massive amounts of information that can be analysed and, 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 and produce all sorts of information for the understanding of people's well-being. Um, but I think, I think what's interesting, not so much from a data perspective, what we've seen through um, COVID is a much, much bigger uptake of understanding from businesses and organisations around their their employees' well-being, and some of the data we're starting to sort of see and talk about is is things like understanding people's workloads, so that we can actually with the, with with data points we can understand if they're overloaded. Um, if they're doing too much, you know, if there's a potential for stress or um, burnout and things like that. And so both the collection of data around quality of well-being in some ways, collection of data to avoid harming or impacting someone's well-being. Um, there's also, you know, discussions around um, analysing things like EAP services. So so um, the reach out services and things like that and being able to understand um, patterns and um, and trends and themes that run through people's approach to 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 getting support and things like that. And so, you know, there's all sorts of ways that use data to uh, to be able to understand it better than what we used to. 
when I think I first met you, certainly when I first had you on the radio, you were building a permaculture garden, a big one. And I know your dad's got a pretty impressive garden in Wanaka. <laughs> Even if you're not directly working on permaculture anymore, do the two worlds mesh together? Uh, they do for me anyway. Um, you know, I, I still, I don't have the, the land anymore, but, um, I still pine for the, for the days of building a good food forest and, and, and having a sustainable, um, food system. You know, it, it, it was just in the last few days, it's really kind of come back to me and the, some of the work I did back then around sustainable food systems and just thinking about the impact of Omicron and, and the possibility that, you know, 25% of the work, a person, an organization's workforce could be out if that's truck drivers or if that's distribution centers or whatever, you know, what does that look like from a, um, from a workforce perspective? And so, you know, from a, I guess, from a thinking about sustainability and, 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 and like I said, sustainable food systems, you know, the data piece comes into it when you start to be able to analyze the wider macro, macroeconomical macro, um, um, I guess community based and how everything interacts to 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 work towards that, and you know in some ways a lot of that permaculture stuff it's really, you know it can be broken down into data and information and knowledge. So they they combine for me. Not a lot of other not a lot of other people probably do both <clears throat> business intelligence and permaculture, but um, for me definitely the worlds collide. Do you use <laughs> do you use those sort of organic concepts in in, the, in how you're thinking about? data there's there's patterns you know i think if you go deep enough into the concept of permaculture it's always about na nature's patterns um you know and i think that definitely comes into the data aspect um and, and breaking down breaking down businesses into into those concepts around patterns and around and around themes and trends and and, and time you know because of course if you're growing trees or plants or whatever there's always a pattern around time and and things having a, a process to go through so you know there's also yeah yeah definitely and, and and obviously from a from a business owner's perspective there's a lot to consider around how the role we play within our community as well and you know from a climate perspective obviously it's around you know how much we're traveling uh, obviously you know this is you know in some ways COVID, or in many ways, COVID's been really good from that perspective because we've been forced to not travel. Um, but it's also changed people's behaviours. So now we know we don't have to travel. So these people that I used to go and see lots on planes and things like that are comfortable with with a, uh, a Zoom call. And so we're, you know, from that perspective, we're doing a really good job at reducing um, flying times and and things like that. In terms of the the data that, well, the, not not the data, in terms of the questions that people are asking of the data, are, are people moving beyond just a pure, the finances? Are, are people actually wanting to see a more holistic view of the business and how it relates to the, the planet and social justice and whatever else? Yeah, I mean, ECSG is definitely becoming more of a conversation. It's definitely part of the topic now. We're doing, we, we're, slowly doing more work around um you know around uh you know carbon um, monitoring and things like that so we work with a couple of large organizations specifically one large um gold miner and um gold mining organization globally and and they're doing a lot of work around understanding um 
their carbon consumption. Um, what is it? Tier one, tier two, tier three, um, and, and a lot of analysis around that. But um, also a lot of um, a lot of their impact on communities as well. So understanding how they're working with within communities to to make sure that they have a positive impact rather than a negative impact, um, both on the climate and the environment um, as well as socially. Um, but it's funny we don't do a lot of work in the finance space. It's a, it's it, it's generally a lot more operational. So we do see a lot more of that side of things, and it's definitely it's definitely increasing a lot more and more. Yeah. Bubble sprite of the forest of Orakadui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, kotahoho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstar, in your beloved universes, and I really hope, wherever you are, and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are the triumph of nature's art perfect unique and here making things better thank you now i know that for all of us for more than two years now we have been in the time of great uncertainty we've had to adapt we've had to change we've had to cling to those parts of ourselves who have been able to see us through we've had to grow and strengthen those parts we've had to be grateful and acknowledge those parts and not just those parts within us but the parts within others around us of all different shapes and sizes and ages and species all the living world around us constantly giving us support and inspiration and attention and affection and guidance and advice all these things that the living world is constantly giving us and I guess I would say for you and for I and for all of us we are doing our best constantly that's what we're here to do and I'm grateful I'm so grateful that we've made it this far together of course as we now head into a time of Omicron it is a tricky one and it is a time where we still have so much to learn and discover this of course is an integral part of us as a species that we like to learn and discover the new that we like to understand the world around us and how we can contribute to it. And this contribution that we make is an important way in which we understand ourselves. I know for myself, as a performer and as someone very involved with the arts and events and working with the public and large groups of people, my whole sense of how I contribute has had to change very much and is still changing. And I am having to think, shall we have a gig coming up on the 18th of February? Should we proceed with this gig in the midst of all this Omicron, or should we not? And of course, that's a difficult decision to make because it brings so much pleasure to all of us to be able to play together. And it brings so much pleasure to 
I hope, our audience to come and watch us. So it really is a tricky decision. As much as we can say only 40 people allowed and everybody sitting down still does not fill me with a sense of great contentment and security. So although we probably need to make that decision today, I'm going to give myself a little bit more time and space to think it through before I get back to the band. I know that we're all having to make decisions of this nature at this time and so I really hope for you wherever you are and whatever's happening around you you're drawing upon the support that is there for you to make these decisions you're drawing upon what has already been experienced to help you make these decisions and you're drawing upon your inner creative fire your ambitions your dreams your motivating forces your generative power that is always there boosting you and uplifting you and carrying you along and reminding you of what you're here to do. I hope all of these parts are helpful. I also hope that as much as things are changing, we can really appreciate all those things that have remained, the love that has remained, the relationships that have remained, even if they've changed form. And of course, the hope that has remained. And I hope that we can all feel very proud of what we have done to keep it here. And I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with John Foote. John, when we're talking about well-being um, and um in ways of engaging and measuring things in in the business community is really different from the kind of um those who are at the at the bottom of the rung who the social services providers are all trying to care for and they they just often get overlooked uh and like even yesterday for example i was trying to organize um for uh, some counselling support through EAP for a family and they're not doing any face-to-face work around here at the moment because so like how, how do we actually use the data to help beyond those people who can use the data to their own ends like that this is this constant frustration that I have at, at you know like at, out in the social services and it's really challenging and I this is i mean it's it's one of the things that that i think about and that it's really expensive to do what we do and so it, it it's a it's a challenging thing to to really get into organizations that don't have money and typically the organizations and the groups that you're talking about don't have money and so it's it's a challenge because it's twofold. The reason it's it's expensive is because it's it's expensive technology. Um, it is not it's not your everyday run of the mill technology off that you can just grab off the shelf and go for it. You know, it's, there's very few um, businesses that sell it, and those that do, it's typically um, larger organisations that can afford it. 
Um, and I've been in this game for prior to doing the permaculture stuff. I've been in the game for 15 years. And when I first started out, it really was multi, multi-millionaire organisations that could afford it. It's definitely got a lot cheaper. But what we're seeing now is that um, there's such a demand for um, for the people that do technology. So um, people with the skills, um, especially now, it is really, really difficult to find people with technology skills. So what happens in the market is the businesses with the money pay more money. And so now to get someone to to do a technology role, people are people are asking for really really big salaries. Um, and so that makes the work expensive as well. Um, to, so to answer your question, it's a really challenging situation. And I think it's interesting. I'm reading a book at the moment. Um, it's called Trailblazer. It's Mark Benioff, who's um, Salesforce. And, and he, they have a thing called 111, which is um, basically they try to give 1% of their people time, 1% of their um, profit and 1% of their product. And so they talk a huge amount about trying to do stuff within their community to give back and to and to try and grow the community and try to educate and, and do all sorts of different things around that. So I, I actually think it's on... It's on us as business people, and it's on us as uh, it's on businesses to actually um, engage and do more. There's a guy, um, Dave Latili, out of Auckland, who does a thing called BBM, Butter Butterbean Motivation, I think it's called, and he he supports a lot of Pacific Island and Maori in the community around weight loss. Um, but but I sort of follow him on LinkedIn, and I think he does amazing stuff. But he gets he 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 does a really good job at engaging um, businesses in the community to help support. So I think potentially there, it's 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 someone in that environment that can engage businesses that that have the ability to to do those sorts of data um, processes to help and get help in the in the environment for for social services. Yeah, that's your question. I, I don't know. I might have gone off there. <laughs> it does. Well, no, it does. Do you think that there's any way that we can reprioritize some of the government? Because you know the government is putting a tremendous amount of money at the moment into some flipping amazing programs. Gosh, I'm not complaining about any of those because they are well, like serious impact, really, really impactful in places like the Eastern Bay where we've got really high levels of deprivation all the negative statistics, do you think that government funding into the space would make a difference? Would it make it better or worse? Because it sounds really... like money actually money doesn't make it better. <laughs> Just creates more demand for those few people that have got the skills. In some ways, but the, the good thing that the government does when it funds something specific, it puts money into those things specifically. And so, um, the you know, in some ways, and data is its own worst enemy at times. There's a story about, um, there's a story about, you know, I may go off topic here a little bit, but there's a story about fighter bombers in the, in the war. And, and what they did is they, these, these fighter planes were coming back and they had, they had um, um, bullet holes all over them. And what they did is they went, oh, there's, these are all the areas of the, the plane they have bullet holes in them, so we need to protect them. And so they so they thought, well, we're going to protect these planes. They're going to go out, and they're going to be protected from the from the bullet holes, and will be better. But they didn't 
They didn't manage to save any more planes until later on what they realized that what they weren't getting in the data was the planes that weren't coming back were the ones that were actually fatally shot down and that was where they needed to protect for the bullet holes. And it was actually a lack of data which meant they couldn't act in a proper way. And I think a lot of times in these sort of situations with lower socioeconomic, there's a real lack of data because they're not engaged in the ways to 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 get the data. And a prime example of that was the last census. I was engaged actually at Stats to help um, do a lot of the work around the, the, the census data. And what happened there, there was big holes in the data because parts of parts of society parts of the community didn't have access to computers didn't have access to mobile phones and so their data never came in you know and, and so that, that's actually where we need to be yeah so so that's yeah. all my, that's the correlation to my story is that the data was wasn't there and so so no one, no one can act on on data that doesn't exist but that's exactly where you need to be kind of thing yeah I had a meeting today with our rangatahi, uh, we've got a rangatahi um, facilitator, coordinator uh, in our team, in our workforce development team, and she was saying that when she goes out and speaks to rangatahi, the message is always the same. When she says, why aren't you engaging in this program? And they always say, why wouldn't we want to engage in that program? We never asked for it. We didn't want it. It's not cool. And we've we've got this like this mentality that as adults we know what's best and I don't know that we are canvassing and creating data sets for our young people on actually what they're interested in, what they want and what support we really need to offer to help them achieve their aspirations or even to to develop their aspirations. Yeah, and, and we're getting into quite a wide, you know, a deep philosophical conversation because, you know, how can you ask for something if it don't know exists? Or, or you or you haven't lived in a world where you understand what's possible um you know so and again it's almost like a lack of information it means that they only choose the things that they know and so if they haven't asked for it but how would they know to ask for it even if they if it was a good thing for them so it's yeah <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting it's a, that is for sure yeah, yeah look I, you know it's you know as a as a business owner and as an organisation, obviously you know, um, you know from my time you know that I spend um, really getting to know the permaculture um, um, philosophy. You know, we're still a young business, but but ultimately what we want to do is give back. We we want to help our community, and 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 part of what we can do as a as a business is be able to do that. Um, but but it's a really big shift, especially in a technology business. There's a there's a base level of kind of drive and passion you have to have to want to do it to sit at a computer for eight hours a day takes a real drive to want to do that and and a lot of the people that we come across that that need that sort of help it just doesn't interest them um so there is a there is a bridge um and and maybe we're not the right organization but we we in some way we are um but there's many organizations out there that, that we just have to try and find i guess the pattern of understanding that Business can help, you know, business can be part of the solution. Let's take the second of your music choices. Let's have George Ezra. It's going to be Shotgun, of course. Why Shotgun? Look, look to be honest, this one is because of my daughter. So um, 
this is kind of the first song that she really got into and sort of hummed along and sung along and things like that with us as she was growing up. We, my wife and I, really liked George Ezra, and we kind of when he when he came out, we 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 listened to him a lot. But but when Shotgun came out, which I think was his second or third album, um, she was just at that age where she just really got into it. So anytime I hear of it, you know, I just remember just makes me think of her sitting in her, in her, in her car seat singing along, you know, so it's, it's just, it's, for me, it's just that memory. Homegrown alligator, see you later, gotta hit the road, gotta hit the road. The sun and change in the atmosphere, architecture unfamiliar, I could get used to this. Buy in the yellow and green Stick around and you'll see what I mean There's a mountain top That I'm dreaming of If you need me, you know where I'll be I'll be riding shotgun Underneath the hot sun Feeling like a someone I'll be riding shotgun Underneath the hot sun Feeling like a someone South of the equator, navigator, gotta hit the road, gotta hit the road. A deep sea diving round the clock, bikini bottoms, lager tops. I could get used to this. Time flies by in the yellow and green, stick around and you'll see what I mean. There's a mountain top that I'm dreaming of. If you seen lots of different visualizations of the pandemic of case numbers and deaths and times to deaths and times to whatever else and so then have you seen anything that's that's really impressed you that you thought that's just nailed it that's a genius piece of work i you've got me there because i did a bunch myself <laughs> <laughs> it will be those ones then. So I'd, like to, 
I'd rather say mine, you know, but um, look, I think, you know, the interesting thing about the visualization, so there was a couple of things when it first started happening, there was a real issue around people's ability to understand what the charts meant. And the, the really early ones that were challenging for most individuals were the logarithmic scales around case numbers. Um, and, and so, you know, I talked a lot early on about, you know, I was sort of commenting on them, trying to give people context around what it meant. And then, you know, that, that sort of shifted and people realized that it wasn't, you know, logarithmic sales was challenging. And, and so then it was sort of ratios of, of cases to deaths or cases per millions or cases, whatever. But then over time, it was kind of like, okay, we've gone through first waves and second waves and third waves. And then we started seeing these long term, you know, line charts that showed the number of cases over time or, you know, whatever. And I think we let, we started to let context there around the difference between the waves so I started to do some analysis around um, what was, you know, what was outbreak one versus two versus three, and and what were the patterns of the of the lines and the steepness of the curves and and the, the speed of them to turn around and things like that. So I think you know it's 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 quite easy to get caught up in the numbers, and I mean we see it now that people are just over the numbers. You know, it's like we get them every day and people, everyone I talk to now is like, I don't even listen. I don't even know what the numbers are. It doesn't mean anything to me because it's just numbers. And and it's, and and I did a talk uh, last year, in the last year um, and brought in, it's, it's, it's what it's about really is the context behind the numbers. You know, the numbers don't mean anything unless the context means something. Um, and I think everyone now is just kind of like, yeah, we've got, we've got cases, but my world, everything seems fine. So they don't understand the context. Um, and I guess that's where people are people are starting to get more detail. You know, we sort of had when the vaccines were happening, it was like um, there was some good visualizations actually um, on the percentage. And then the prediction of when each um, DHB would hit 90%. And I actually kind of thought they, they did that well. And I'm not sure if it was... I'm not sure if it was uh, News Hub or it was stuff, but there was kind of these these line charts that had, you know, we're at 87% based on the current trajectory they were, that this region was going to get there by such and such a date. Um, and I thought they did that well. Um, but I haven't seen a lot of others that really stood out for me other than in a negative way, unfortunately, which I found confusing or difficult for the general public to understand. We've seen lots of changes in society over the last... Okay, I'm going to say it, three years. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? Um, what I hope will stick? It's a really, it's a really good question. Um, I think, I think um, people understanding other people and being more conscious of the people around them you know, I think we're still we're still not there, and that you know the idea behind being vaccinated, for example, um, it's not just about you; it's about your far now, it's about your community, it's about your children. You know, um, actually thinking there's a world around me that I interact with, so I need to be conscious of who who I impact. And I think we we've, we've seen a 
you know, I see a lot of commentary around the vaccination. And I think a lot of people, it's like, you know, when people say, I don't want the vaccine, it's a lot of people are sort of like, well, it's not just about you. So there's been a big shift. So I think that's quite a good thing. I think people actually being more conscious of their community and, and the people doing things, not just for themselves, but for others. Um, other than that, I think, yeah, it would be good if we could maintain some of this less traveling and less driving and things like that. But um, I fear that's not going to be the case. As soon as people can travel, they will travel. And I'm probably a little bit guilty of that myself, but um, definitely a lot more conscious. Is there a sweet spot in the the storytelling and, and the, the data? I think what you're talking about, do you consider the business intelligence to be storytelling? Definitely the visualization part of it is. Yep. So in terms of that storytelling, is there a sweet spot between the the individual stories and the the national, regional or national numbers? I, I think business intelligence is like is like the um, you know those books you used to get where you could choose the choose the way the story went. In many ways a good business intelligence data visualization doesn't necessarily tell a story. Well it, well, it allows the user to 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 find a story. There's all, so we design in such a way, we design our pages in such a way that it allows for a narrative. Um, the user processes through a page or through multiple pages in a distinct fashion, but of course it, the, each page allows them to filter. And so what that means is that if they're on page one and they identify something that looks like there's an issue or a problem or something. They can filter on that. They can drill down in on it and then move through the rest of the report, focusing on that one specific thing. And I don't think every person will look at things exactly the same way. So good business intelligence really allows the user to create their own story, but it allows them to do that in such a way that the narrative works. What lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response for the bigger sorts of things that that we've briefly mentioned, things like climate change or social justice, biodiversity? Can we take stuff from it? Oh, look, I think we can. I think we can we can we can take from it that it's very hard to get one hundred percent consensus across the board. Um, we can take from it that when when we're confronted by something as immediate, we can we can come together as a community and, and as a country and achieve things. You know, the team of five million, I know it's probably been thrown around a lot, but you know, even if it's ninety-five percent of that five million, we've shown that that we can rally and we can do things when they're required. You know, and you, if you and that there's probably, you know, it's the the correlation between something like diabetes and a broken arm is that you can't see immediately the problem with diabetes and you can't, it doesn't immediately have an effect, but the longer it goes on, the more damage it does. And that's climate change for us. And the pandemic was a broken arm, right? It's kind of happened and we, we had to deal with it. We had to solve it. And I think, you know, for me that we've proven that we can do something about it when it, when it really is obvious and meaningful. Um, the challenges is we, we don't want it to, always have to be something that closes the borders to make us stand up and, and do something about it. That's a nice model. I have some questions to end the show with and oops, not very much time, so we shall have to be quick. 
what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Personally, probably getting back to the gym and getting my health in order. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, like, so, uh, you know, there was, there was, you know, I'm probably in the best shape I've been in since I was 15. And and it's, again, coming back to that well-being concept of just getting older, you know, having family that I have to be around for and, 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 and just really thinking about how do I look after myself and how do I look after my family and how do I sort of be a better person in the world because I'm, um, because I'm not drained and because I'm not overweight and and all those sorts of things. Um, You know, outside of that, you know, obviously my family, um, I think there's a lot to celebrate and some of the achievements of my, of my uh, stepsons and my daughter, um, you know, so there's a lot of pride there with, with, you know, being a, being a good dad and, and, and being a good husband. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you're in that team. <laughs> What's your superpower? What's got you into the mansion? Uh, look, I think, you know, the one thing, you know, from a, from where I'm at now with, from a business perspective is, is, is being a business, uh, a business person that is really driving, um, culture, um, is, is, you know, one of my driving forces around doing business and being in businesses so that I can create an organization where people love to come to work. Um, and that's my passion. That's what I want to, that's what I really, what I want to achieve is, is an, as a business that does good, is good and has good people. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? I, I wouldn't, you know, you know, I wouldn't call myself an activist. I, I, I'd, um, I'd probably just try to call myself a good person. That's, that's what I'd, if, if I sort of went to the grave and some and people basically defined me as a good person, then, then I'd, I'd feel pretty happy with that. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Um, that really, you know, like, um, you know, is, is, is creating passion in other people and bringing the best out of them. So what is the biggest challenge or opportunity you're looking forward to in the next couple of years? Um, I, at the moment, my biggest challenge is, um, is very much um, building. So, you know, we talked about the, the access to data one of the things I'm working on is a is a technology that will allow any organisation to be able to access at least some of their data if it's cloud based and it's it's um, it's uh, more common at, at a much cheaper rate. So it's a you know it's a business it's a business sort of thing that I'm working on, but it's certainly something that I'm really focused on on bringing it out. And it's very much based on that idea that we talked about before and that. At the moment, only really, really wealthy businesses or, or businesses with bigger pockets can get this sort of information. And, and I want to democratize that and, and give it to smaller organizations. So small business in New Zealand has the opportunity to get the same information that the larger ones do. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? I, you know, I think just, just that thing for me is that think of others, um, you know, it, it, for me, it's, um, you know, when work and the business, we want to try and do good things. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a risk that we get caught up 
thinking what's good for ourselves. But but if you want to feel good, there's nothing better than doing something for someone else. Um, and I think the benefit I get from you know from helping others or or my even my team, you know, just just wanting to um, you know feel good about work or my family being happy, you know, that's what gives me a lot of pleasure. And and I think that's a lot more pleasurable than just doing something for myself. Thank you for that. Moira. John, it's really hard to make any change happen uh, anywhere without the data to support it. So people like you who are making that possible, you're enabling change. And I really appreciate that. And thanks for the work that you do in the community for the change that you facilitate just by the action of doing it. Uh, and keep up the good work. Thanks for sharing with us tonight. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. with people in their bubbles their safe spaces around the world brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic we are broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz you can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie this is... Aaron Lee Tashan, Computer of Love.
I'm Samuel Manansoy's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai and Fakatani, and we've been joined from St. Clair in Dunedin by John Foote. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.